Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. And happy Monday, Merry Christmas, happy holidays to everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small. As always, let's get the boring stuff out of the way first. Snapshots in Hockey History is a listener-supported podcast brought to you free of charge every single Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m. I will never ask you for a dollar for this podcast, but... If you like what you hear, you want to help us out, you want to do something nice, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Snapshots in Hockey History and on Twitter at Snapshots In. I hope everyone had a wonderful weekend this past weekend as we count down the final few hours until Christmas kicks off. I know I did. I was actually able to watch a little bit of hockey and to everyone's surprise, believe it or not, it was not a Washington Capitals game. I got in the car and took a little bit of a road trip down to Roanoke, Virginia and saw the Roanoke Rail Yard Dogs take on the Fayetteville Marksmen of the Southern Professional Hockey League. Had a great time. A good friend of mine who is an official in the USA Hockey Development Program uh, where they train officials to move on to the higher ranks made his pro hockey debut. So I wanted to take the trip and see him and he did a fantastic job so congrats to him on hopefully what will be the first of many pro games taking the trip down to Roanoke also allowed me to catch up with some old friends I got to sit with Scott Gruel former IHL NHL AHL ECHL you name it pro hockey player he played all across North America during the 70s 80s and early 90s and he actually coached in the ECHL with Rod Langway the Richmond Renegades team for a long time it was great to see him we caught up we chatted he told me some great stories we're definitely going to have him on the podcast at some point we talked a lot about some of the guys he's played with and I couldn't believe his junior team it had like Dale Hunter on it Randy Hillier Don Beaupre Mike Felino. Tons of talented guys on this team, so he's definitely going to come on and tell us some old school uh, OHA stories, because of course the OHA was the predecessor to the OHL. So we've got that to look forward to down the road, but this week, Jamie Rivers joins us. Jamie, former NHL defensive forward and also goalie, which you'll hear about in this interview. Yeah, that's right. I said goalie. If you're scratching your head and you're hearing that, I don't blame you. But don't worry. Jamie explains it all. He goes through it in this interview. He also gives us quite a few laughs. During this interview, we cover Jamie's 0102 season in the National Hockey League. He started out with the Ottawa Senators and then probably maybe a tenth of the way through the season ends up being placed on waivers. So he ends up becoming a member of the Boston Bruins. And that's where we spend probably 90% of the interview. He talks about Sergei Samsonov, Joe Thornton, Robbie Fatorik, Byron Defoe. That 0102 Boston Bruins team was stacked. But before we get to the interview, since it's the holiday season, I want to say thank you to everyone that supported the show. I've been completely overwhelmed with all the emails, comments. It's been great. I never really thought this thing would grow much more than maybe a handful of my friends listening. And it is. So thank you guys for that. And that's all because of you. So as a way to say thank you, I'm going to do a little bit of a drawing. For everyone that's left a review by January 1st, you're going to be entered in to win a 10 gift card to NHL.com. That's right. I'm going to give you a $10 gift card as a way of saying thank you for reviewing the podcast. Now, a couple caveats. I've got to be able to know what your name is. So when you leave it, please leave your name on there. So that way I can look it up. I'll go ahead and do the drawing on the first and you can find out who won on our Facebook page. So just to do a quick review, on January 1st, I'm going to pick a random person that's left us a five-star review on our iTunes page. I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to announce the winner on our Facebook page, and they'll win a $10 gift card to NHL.com. In the meantime, enjoy the interview with Jamie Rivers as we cover his 0102 season with the Ottawa Senators and Boston Bruins. You began the 0102 season not in Boston, even though we're talking about the Bruins. You were actually in Ottawa. And according to the Ottawa Citizen, you had put on 15 pounds prior to camp. 
What kind of training were you doing to try to beef up before the season started? <laughs> well, I, you know what? Like the year before, to give a little backstory on it. Is Please. The, the year before when I got signed to play in Ottawa, they – they didn't have any toughness. Like the senators at that time were, you know, Alfredson, Hosa, mm-hmm. Havlat, Yashin, like a lot of guys that were extremely talented, but maybe not the most sandpaper. And at that point in my career, uh, as much as I was an offensive player to join the NHL, uh, I had to transform and I'd kind of become a hard hitting, gritty kind of defenseman. And that's, kind of why Ottawa signed me when they did. So from that point on, we had a hell of a team. I think we won the Eastern Conference as far as points. I think we finished first in the Eastern Conference. That's a better way to put it. And then we got matched up against the Maple Leafs in the first round. And we went out four straight. And it was like the biggest upset that I can remember for a while because we were so dominant in the regular season. And all that happened is Toronto had, you know, Tucker, Corson, Gary Roberts, couple other guys that were real gritty and they just came after us physically the entire series and we didn't have any toughness like we had Andre Waugh who was a really tough guy and a great fighter and a great teammate but he really wasn't going to see ice time in the playoffs sure and you know they had Ty Domi so it's like it doesn't matter at the end of the day they had the ultimate trump card I mean the only thing that would have saved our asses would have been to be able to somehow wheel Tony Twist out there for right. a game or two, you know? And we didn't have that. And I remember thinking in that offseason, the biggest thing that fans were disappointed in and, and management and everybody was that we got pushed around. You know, I had only played one game in that series, and I think I had two penalties in the game just trying to – probably not smart penalties, but it was like trying to bring something, some kind yeah. of pushback. So in the offseason, when that came, I just knew that – we're going to have draft picks coming in. We're going to have bodies that are healthy. We're going to have a really good team. And in order for me to stick around, I have to kind of carve out a spot for myself. And to do that would be to put on some size and come in and play as hard as I can. Not fight everybody because that wasn't going to be my role, but to make sure that like when I hit somebody, I hit them hard and that it wasn't fun to play against me. And so I remember going off that summer, and getting a trainer and just working out like two, three times a day and getting on. Like this was just when all the supplements were kind of really being a part of the game. And creatine was – it had been around, but now it's like it was in, it's like in a better shape or a better form of it, of taking it. And I, I put on like 15 pounds of muscle, which was, was kind of crazy. I, I literally had no life uh, at all in the summer. And then came back to Ottawa and I kind of – blew up their testing at that at, uh, at training camp i remember kind of scoring really high off the charts and the problem was is that they were so deep and marshall johnston who was an incredible man and was such an awesome honest dude that he he pulled me aside and he's like listen jamie we got a lot of bodies here and i'm going to give you the option i i can either try to hang on to you and maybe, you know, you might go up and down throughout the year and this and that. And, or he says, I know if I put you on waivers, he goes, I know almost certain that the Bruins are going to pick you up. And 
That's how we wound up in Boston. And you're right, that team that before we depart from talking about Ottawa, they were loaded. They had LeCision back there. They had Sammy Sallow. They had Wade Redden. Oh, yeah, they had a defenseman named Zdeno Chara. So it was a stacked roster. So you try to put on some weight to kind of differentiate yourself from the rest of the pack. Yeah, you know, you try to do that. And like at the time when the strategy, I guess, was initiated, we didn't have Chara yet. The Yashin trade to Long Island hadn't happened. Oh, okay. And, you know, so you're looking at it, and then eventually we get the Chara, and I think Bill McCault come from the Islanders over, and Yashin goes to the Islanders from Ottawa. And so you look at that, and you're like, okay, we've got Zidane Chara, Curtis Lassishan, who's a pretty big guy who we picked up like at the deadline the year before. And then, you know, we had Shane Knighty, who was still around, and we had Chris Phillips. And yep. I, I could see where my role is, even if I was playing hard and playing tough, it didn't matter. Like, I think my days were numbered anyways. What was the thought that you said that coach said that we can put you on waivers and that Boston will most likely pick you up? What was the thought behind that? Why did he feel so confident about that? Well, I think he'd had some discussions, and I think that, um, you know, these guys always talk, and mm-hmm. and Marshall Johnson was our GM at the time. I said and, coach, I'm sorry, Marshall Johnson. Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah. I just want to make sure that people listening, you know, because we had Jacques Martin. Jacques wasn't as open with his communication as Marshall was. Sure. But Marshall was great, and I, I think he tried to orchestrate a trade, and I don't think my value was extremely high at that point. And so I think his thought process was rather than trying to find one suitor for this player, because we had a good relationship and he liked me and he was very aware of the work that I put in in the offseason to get bigger and stronger and want to be a part of the team. And he, I think he thought that if he put me out on the wire, it gave everybody a chance. Fair it enough. Gave me a chance. You know, he was, I think he was doing the right thing by me rather than the organization. Oh, I definitely think so. He was giving you an opportunity to continue your career elsewhere. I mean, yeah. that's huge. That's that's unbelievable. Before we get off on Ottawa, you talked about a few rookies and draft picks coming in. There was a, a young guy that was taken third overall that year, Jason Spezza. Do you remember anything about his first camp in Ottawa? Yeah, you know, he was incredible. And right away, he was drawing comparisons to Yashin because of right-handed shot, tall, lanky, uh, you know, real good vision. Uh, and of course, he was coming off a great career in the OHL. And I know he went back to the OHL and whatnot, but he, he had come in with, with a pretty good resume. And yeah, he was just a little young to make the team right off the hop. And it was probably the best thing they did is not keep him in his first year. But he was awesome. Great kid. Loved hockey. Loved being at the rink. He loved to laugh and joke and be a part of the, the group. And it was a lot of fun to, uh, to get to know him there. And, and still to this day, obviously, we're... You know, when I see him, we talk or chit-chat and whatnot. But, yeah, extremely talented, great kid. That's the things I remember the most. Regular season starts, and you go ahead and you play about five games with Ottawa. And then, like you said, you were put on waivers, and the Boston Bruins claimed you. How did you find out that you were being waived? How did that go down? Well, it actually was a conversation that I had with Marshall Johnson. And he literally told me, you know, I'm going to put you on waivers. And that was it, yeah. That was it. And so... I knew I, we had we were in Carolina when I found out, and so we traveled back with the team and went to practice the next day. And and of course, you know the phone calls with the agent start, and you're trying to. Although everybody gets the same email or whatever at the time, you still want to make sure your agent's calling as many teams and letting them know that you're available. And 
I just remember him calling me back and I, I remember very vividly and sitting in my living room and him calling me back and saying, listen, I, I'm almost positive that the Bruins are taking you. He's like, I, I don't see them. They've said good things. They, you know, this, that, the other. And he goes, if you get to them, he goes, there's a couple of the teams that are kind of interested and I guess we'll find out. But he goes, I definitely think he goes, you should pack your stuff and be ready to go. And so that was kind of it. And you go ahead and do pack yourself. You're quoted in the Ottawa Citizen as saying that you had a conversation with Bruins GM Mike O'Connell and that you were pretty excited to be joining the Bruins. You recall what was talked about in that first conversation? You know, it's always a little nerve wracking because you're getting a, sure. a guy. And I didn't know Mike at the time. You know, I just wanted to get there and show him what I was capable of doing. And, and his conversation was pretty simple. He was like, we have injuries and, you know, we have a head coach. And Robbie Fatorik was the head coach that year and Robbie had coached against me in the minors uh, a handful of years before when he was in Albany and I was playing in Worcester and he was my coach one time when I was playing in the AHL all-star game and had a, a good relationship with Robbie. I don't want to say like we were buddies or that we had beers together, but we were very amicable and mm -hmm. he always talked about how he liked the way I could play offensively and all those things. And so I knew that when Michael Connell had called me, he had obviously talked to Robbie Fatorik and, Robbie had probably given his blessing to picking me up as a player, and he thought I would add value to their lineup and depth and all these things. And so I thought it was a real good fit, and I thought it was a real good fit for me at that time because, hey, they're the big bad Bruins, right? Like, right. That's what I remember from growing up, them playing Montreal, and it's the big bad Bruins. And here I am, you know, I just put on 15 pounds, and I'm ready to – kind of eat raw meat out there. So I'm like, what better place to go than the Bruins? And I thought it was a good match. Well, your first game ends up being in Phoenix and the Bruins are in the middle of a four game road trip. So do you even get down to Boston at all? Or do you just go directly to Phoenix? That was actually really funny because they, yeah, they were on the road and I had to join them in Phoenix. And now I had played with Scott Pellerin. Okay. Before. I had played with Rob Zamner before and so when I got there, Pelly ended up being my roommate on that road trip. I think they did it on purpose so that I wouldn't just be stranded. Makes sense. Um, yeah. Feel comfortable with somebody, you know. Yeah. And I remember that, you know, all the guys were headed out that night because we had a day off the next day. And it was like one of those West Coast trips to start of the season where it's the team bonding thing. And so Pelly, you know, comes back to the room. They had been somewhere. And by this point, I had gotten to the hotel and. He's like, oh, Ribs, you're here? And like, yeah, you know, we catch up. He's like, well, the guys want you to come out tonight and have a few beers and whatnot. And I'm like, oh, well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> no better way to get to know the boys. So I got out. We had some beers. We had a few too many for sure. And by morning, it's like you guys had been together for 10 years. You know, you've. Oh, what a you've great had, way. Yeah, that's the best way to start. Yeah, it was it was a perfect setting for me. And it gave me a chance to know my teammates the next day and be comfortable and, and go to battle with them. And I remember playing a, a ton my first game. And, and it's funny because they didn't have jerseys really on the road. And I think they had a couple of like really shitty numbers. <laughs> and Number 42.6. Like, yeah. Like I'm not, I don't wear that. And so I go, well, what, I go, what other jerseys do you have? And uh, the, the trainer, the equipment guy was like, what was this, this, this? And he goes, we got, we got a goalie jersey. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like what number he goes well 31 i go perfect i'll take it 
He goes, you want to be number 31? I go, why not? <laughs> like at this point in my career, like I'd started in St. Louis. I'd gone to the Islanders, went to the Senators. Now I'm in Boston. I'm like, I don't even care about my number anymore. I'm like, just give me anything. And I go, I thought it'd be funny to wear the goalie jersey. And so that's how I kicked off my start in Boston. You had a great start. And, and like you said, you played a ton in that first game. It was a 1-1 tie. After the game, Robbie Fatorik was quoted in the paper saying, I know Jamie a little bit. He moved the puck well. He's not afraid to hit. He likes to hit. You talked about him being, you know, you guys having a mutual respect for one another. What kind of coach was he, though? I absolutely loved Robbie Fatorik. And, you know, he was ahead of his time in a lot of ways like he was a real finesse player when he played and people don't remember how many goals he scored as a hockey player and like he was a a heck of a player and Robbie's the type of guy that you get to the ring three hours before the game or practice rather sorry not the game but practice and he'd already he'd have his skates on walking around the locker room like ready to go he loved it and so I remember you know not the first actually it may have been the first day like that day or the next day because we didn't have a game. Anyways, he comes up to me and he goes, uh, he's like, I, I, I got a question for you. And I'm like, okay, well, what, what's up? You know, he's like, I need to know what's the most important part of the game you know, in, his bo- <laughs> in his Boston accent. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, what's the most important part of the game? And I'm like, winning? He's like, no, that's a result. I'm like, working hard? He's like, no. He says, it's good, but it's not the most important part. And I'm like, scoring? He's like, yeah, that's part of it. So I go on for like forever. And finally, he walks away. He goes, well, let me know when you figure it out. And so it's like, you're left hanging. And this is where Robbie was like, quirky this way. He would do this kind of stuff and catch guys, you know. And so I went back a couple more times and I'm like, skating he's like no don't have to be a good skater to win hockey games in the nhl i'm like what the hell so finally the guys i think bill Guerin felt bad for me watching me go back and forth in the coach's office like five six times (laughs) he goes uh he hits you with the most important thing in hockey right i'm like yeah he goes okay i'm gonna give you the answer he goes it's the puck (laughs) i'm like what he's like just tell him say robbie it's the puck I'm like, all right, fine. So I go over to the coach's office. I go, uh, you know, try to act it out real well. I'm like, well, I, 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 the only thing, other thing I can think of is that it's the puck. He goes, yeah, those guys told you, didn't they? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I got a little help. He goes, do you know why the puck is the most important part of the game? I'm like, well, no, I don't. He goes, because, he goes, if you don't have a puck, you can't score. You can't play the game. He goes, you're just a bunch of guys skating around with no purpose he goes the puck is the most important part and he goes the best part about it is if we have the puck they can't score and i'm like okay so he was kind of maniacal like that like just out in left field but when you look at it now and you you, like this is 2001 we're talking about but here we are in 2018 and puck possession is the big thing right like everybody's like oh how often or how long can you possess the puck and i always laugh i'm like because the puck's the most important (laughs) (laughs) and you're absolutely right i mean you look at the analytics one of the the things that they always look at is puck possession they talk about how much time did you have the puck and and how much did your opponent have it and things so you're absolutely right he just he was 15 years ahead he just had a great way of saying it i guess yeah it was awesome and robbie was full of those like we called the brain busters back then and 
I absolutely loved Robbie. And it's funny because when we got our full lineup back that year, not that there was no room for me on defense. There was. But Robbie thought to himself, he's like, well, why healthy scratch a guy, whether it's Rivers or anybody else? He was, uh, and he was thinking always, right? So he came into me the one time in the locker room and he goes, have you ever played center before? <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah, like in like Adam or Peewee, you know? And he's like, well, I'm gonna, you're going to play center for me. I'm like, oh, I am? <laughs> like, yeah, he goes, I'm going through your numbers in junior. And he's like, you had 120 points as a defenseman. He goes, that means you have to be able to play offensively. And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, I said, I'm pretty good with the puck. And he goes, now imagine this. And he gets into his Robbie Fatoric voice. You know, he's like, imagine this. He goes, we got three defensemen on the ice in our defensive zone. He's like, come on, who's going to score goals? We got 3D playing down low. And I'm like, uh, well, hopefully nobody. And it'll guarantee me some more ice time. And so the Jamie Rivers at center experiment started with Robbie Fatoric and I think he had me play like 31 games as a centerman or something like that. And it was it went well, and it went well. I mean, you had a couple big goal nights. I saw there was one night where you scored two goals. It was actually, it's funny because that game where I scored two goals, I scored the first one in the, in the first period as a forward, and then the second one was in the second period, and I scored it as a defenseman playing the point on the power play. So, <laughs> so you were Robbie, all over the place. That year, I kid you not, and this is so funny because I'm just remembering this as we're talking, but I played every single position that year for the Boston Bruins, including a stint in goalie. What? Which? Wait, 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 wait a second. Wait a second. Rewind the tape here for a minute. All right. Defense I get. Offense I get. How the hell did you have a stint as a goalie? True story. And you can verify it with Byron Defoe. I know he's on Twitter. He's one of the guys that's out there still. And he had tweaked his groin or something. And, you know, I forget the reasons exactly why. I don't know if we didn't want to spend money to bring up a guy from the minors for practice or whatnot. And so Robbie Fatoric, again, in his, his genius self, you know, he's like, hey, you like to block shots, right, Riv? I'm like, well, I don't know if I like it. I said, I'm willing to do it. He's like, well, you block a lot of shots. I'm like, yeah. He goes, I'm going to need you to play goalie this week. (laughs) And I kid you not, like Bill Guerin was there and Joe Thornton, and they just bust out laughing, right? Because at this point, it's become a joke that I've played every single position in like penalty kill as a defenseman, power play as a defenseman, power play on the half wall as a forward. And now I'm going to play goalie. I mean, what do you even say to that? How do you respond to something like that? Well, I'm a gamer, right? <laughs> I'm like, bring it on, Robbie. I'll play goalie. So you actually, did you actually go on the, as a backup or how did this work? We had that week as practice leading up to our games. And what we did was we had real practice with me and Ned. Oh like my God. everything. And so I'm wearing Byron Defoe's gear. Now I'm taller than Byron, so... I have John Graham is our backup goalie. Mm-hmm. So I'm wearing some of Byron's stuff and some of John Graham's stuff. And they're helping me, you know, Byron is helping me put the pads on and stuff. And like everybody's getting a chuckle. And I went out there for like three 
practices in a row and I was goalie. Like we ran real drills. We ran scrimmages. We ran special teams and I'm the damn goalie. <laughs> I can only imagine. Now I got to ask, did you have player skates on or did you have goalie skates on? The first time out, I wore goalie skates and I didn't like it. It's a weird feeling. So I kept my player skates on underneath and what I had to do, and this is funny, is I had to have the trainer dull my skates on purpose for me yep. because with the edges that were too deep or too the hollow being too it was like grab and you couldn't move properly and it was just awkward feeling. So the trainer had to grind down the edges and here I am literally ruining my player skates so that I can play goalie for the Boston Bruins in, pla- in practice. When you became an NHLer, did you ever think – that would be on the agenda that you'd be playing goal. I swear to God, I never thought in a million years that that would come. But then, you know, guys were loving it, and it was fun. It was. I, I think Robbie did it half on purpose to boost morale of the team to have some fun, and he knew that I was a gamer and that I'd probably say yes to it and have some fun with it. And so he did like a shootout at the end of practice and all this shit. Like he was bagging me in there. I remember thinking to myself. How are goalies so fat when they have to do all this work? <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Byron Defoe's sitting there smoking a cigarette, eating a hamburger, thinking, hey, good luck, buddy. See you over there. Oh, my God. He was loving it. I'm telling you, these guys laughed, and I enjoyed it. And that's actually what's funny is I almost got into an NHL hockey game as a backup goalie the year after that when I was up and down in Florida. We had two goalies go down in pregame skate. And Mike Keenan had heard that I'd played goalie the year before in Boston and was ready to dress me as the backup goalie, had a jersey made up and everything. And I came like 25 minutes away from officially getting on the ice as a goalie in the NHL. And I would have been the, I think I would have been the only guy to officially play every position at that point. I had no idea you were quite such quite a renaissance man. I mean, I'm just impressed. That's all I can say. So we, we talked about Robbie Fatorik, and I know you weren't on the team when this happened, but at the time, at the beginning of the season, the Boston Bruins captain, Jason Allison, was holding out. And he eventually was traded to the LA Kings. I know you didn't probably deal much with Jason, and you weren't there when all this was going on, but was that a distraction to guys when your captain's a holdout, the team eventually has to trade him? No, I really wasn't. And what's funny is I knew I knew Allison, I knew Allie from my junior days mm-hmm. and having played against him and then we played together for Team Canada at the World Juniors and so I knew him really well and in fact the place that I rented when I was in Boston, our backyards connected. So what's funny was he's holding out and he's not a part of practice yet I'm seeing him like every day and you know, it's it was not weird it was just it didn't feel weird at the time i guess now when i describe it i guess it was kind of a weird setup but no it wasn't weird and you know at the time we got well, we got glenn murray and joseph stumple back you did, in you return. did. i mean and what a great trade for you guys they ended up having a great year yeah these guys were awesome and so yeah we missed we missed having allison for sure but he was replaced or however you want to talk about the trade with two really good players. We had a good centerman out of it and Glenn Murray, who, you know, went on to become quite a scorer from that moment on. Yeah, absolutely. I think he had like 35 goals or 31 goals that season. He definitely, uh, he definitely, definitely lit the lamp up. Yeah. And he fit in great. Both the guys fit in great. Like we had a really awesome locker room. We had, you know, Joe Thornton's a young guy and Joe's almost the same now as he was then just bubbly, like that California surfer dude who, 
love playing hockey, no care in the world and super talented and, you know, all these things. And he was great. Billy Guerin was awesome. We had Rob Zamner. We had Sean O'Donnell. We had Hal Gill, Kyle McLaren. Like we had some awesome guys in that locker room. So to bring in Stumpy, who was awesome. And then Glenn Murray, who I had played junior with in Sudbury and then getting back to having him as a teammate again, it just, it seemed like it was just a real natural fit. Oh man, it, it sounds like that was the best solution to that trade, or the the best the best result that you could ask for. I guess you could say. Yeah, um, I think both teams ended up happy with that deal. I think he, you know, Allie went on to play really well in L.A. And so, I mean, sometimes you know, a hockey trade is just that—it's a good, healthy hockey trade for both teams. In November, the Boston Bruins score off with the Edmonton Oilers, and you end up picking up the win in overtime. Team ends up winning this one, but you had quite a game. You had 17 minutes and penalties during the third period. You ended up squaring off with Daniel Cleary. I, I did some research. Do you recall this fight with Cleary at all? <laughs> I do recall it, and the only reason I recall it is somebody just sent it to me the other day. I guess they'd found it somewhere, and then I remember like Cleary and I became teammates in Detroit together minutes of meeting each other and you know that fight went well for me mm-hmm. so i was it just it was funny but yeah you know what danny was a guy who played hard and it was i mean it was a real tight game and i don't remember anything in particular but danny was a guy who liked to kind of push the envelope a little bit sure. like in today's in today's NHL, you see it a lot because guys go to the front of the net and there's face washes and pushing and shoving and all this stuff and nothing happens, right? And so back in, in 2001, like stuff happened back then. And so Danny liked to come to the front of the net and, and you know, play aggressive or whatever. And he kind of got his hands up in my face and it had to have been more than once, I'm, I'm assuming, but I didn't like it and took exception to it and thought to myself, well, that's the last time you put your hands in my face. Well, we're on home ice here in Boston, you know, and just threw the mitts down and we both start swinging and it ended up being a pretty good fight from what I recall. And, it was a great uh, scrap. It absolutely was a great scrap. Yeah. And got the fans buzzing and uh, we went on to win in overtime and the boys were buzzing after they were hooting and hollering and loving it. And so... No harm done. No uh, harm, no the, foul. I, yeah, I took the extra two for instigator on that one, which I didn't think it was all that bad, but whatever. Referees are referees. No comment on that. I figured you wouldn't. <laughs> In mid-November, you contribute on the scoreboard with that two-goal game against the Buffalo Sabres. And we talked a little bit about playing forward, but moving forward in early December, several members of the team are, are beaten up and kind of bruised. You've got speedster Sergei Samsonov's hurt. Mike Knubel suffered a broken vertebrae. Kyle McLaren's having issues with his wrists. Allison had been traded. At this point, you have a lot of moving parts in that locker room, injuries, things like that. Did anybody step forward and kind of become a, a leader? I know you didn't have a true team captain that year. Yeah, but you know what? We, we did have guys. Like, we had Bill Guerin, who, you know, really, he was the captain of that team. And Billy was awesome. He was tough as nails. He could score. He was a great locker room guy at the same time. Uh, you know, Joe Thornton was young at the time, but he was a leader, too. So, uh, although we didn't have a, a guy that was wearing the C, right. we had plenty of leadership in that room. And uh, we did have some some bumps in the road with those injuries. But I remember us getting through them, and, I mean, we kept winning hockey games, and, and it was because of guys like Billy and guys like Joe who were big, physical, talented guys who helped carry us over the hump. 
You talked about winning hockey games, and you guys absolutely did. You rolled through November and December with a ton of wins, including a 5-0 win over the Montreal Canadiens. And the Montreal Canadiens versus the Boston Bruins is such a storied rivalry. What was it like taking part in that? Well, it was awesome because, like I said, you know, growing up in Ottawa, when I was growing up, we didn't have the Ottawa Senators. Mm-hmm. Uh, they hadn't come back yet into the league. So you were Montreal or Toronto, and in our house, my dad – was a big Montreal guy and and my mom was Toronto. But so every time the Canadians would play the Bruins, you know, it was always a heated rivalry. And Chris Nyland, I think he fought Jay Miller, like, I don't know, a hundred times or something (laughs) like that. Like it was just awesome stuff. And John Cordick and all the old tough guys that used to get after it. And so you just knew an original six matchup, a rivalry game like that. I mean, every time we played Montreal, it it didn't matter where anybody was in the standings. You knew it was going to be one heck of a hockey game. Rivalries were a thing back in the day. And I feel like a lot of those have peeled off now. You don't have the rivalries like you used to. Personally, as a guy that participated in it, is it the same now or is it different? Uh, It's not even close. I mean, just being honest, I'm not. No, we're not knocking anybody. We're not knocking the current game or any of the players. It's just changed, you know, and the game has changed. It's just like anything else. And But, no, you don't have those rivalries anymore. You don't have that hatred that you used to have. And now when you even get those games, like, the, the people will freak. Some people will freak out and social media will go nuts. And then the NHL will crack down on things. And it, really nothing has happened even in some of these games. I mean, what they consider a heated rivalry game these days is like like a preseason game back in the day. Right. And, so, no, those rivalries were – that was some tough hockey, man. Like, you had to man up. And it's, I can't imagine what some of the tough guys went through back then because, like, even as a guy who just played a role of being aggressive, like, there were sleepless nights and sleepless days because you knew that guys were going to try to run your head through the boards they're going to two-hand you. They were going to – you know, whatever it took to win a hockey game, you are going to have to block shots with your face or whatever. And – I mean, that's what it was all about. That's what those rivalry games were about. And they usually had a ton of hits, a ton of stick work, a ton of like craziness. And I mean, it wasn't for the faint of heart. They were the best. I want to thank Jamie Rivers again for coming on the podcast. He tells some great stories during part two about Joe Thornton. He also talks about the PJ Stock Stephen Pete fight, talks about the playoffs that year. So definitely don't forget to check in on Thursday at 8 a.m. to hear part two of our interview. In the meantime, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, travel safe, and we'll catch you on Thursday at 8 a.m. for another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History.